Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to The Mentor. I'm Mark Boris. Sex work has got to be the oldest form of business there is, and we still don't really know much about how it works. Samantha X is Australia's highest paid escort and is a best-selling author of Hooked, a book that thrust her into the world of fame when she published it in 2014, revealing what it's really like behind the scenes in the adult industry. Samantha X entered the escort business later in her life after leaving journalism to launch a career in sex work. There are two sides to the Samantha X brand, the life coach side and the Samantha X after dark agency which is also a successful e-commerce business selling lingerie and sex toys. Samantha X comes across all types of people, especially men in her line of business. And you'll soon realise, as I did in our chat, that very little of her work is actually based upon sex. It's very much more about companionship, counselling and psychology. So let's get into it. Samantha or Samantha X, welcome to The Mentor. Thank you, Mark. Thanks for having me. It's a bit weird doing it from home. I don't feel very sexy, but, you know, I'll do <laughs> Oh, you look awesome. Don't worry. Oh, thank you. Before I get into the, what you're doing today, like in terms of your business um, mm. and, and what your businesses are, there's multiple streams on your business, I want to talk about Samantha and how she chose the career and the paths that she's now taking. But I want to go right back, right, right back. Uh, no, back. You're English. You're English, aren't you? <laughs> I'm from you? London. Yes, I'm a London. You're from London. Okay. Born and bred. So, you're born and bred in London. Yep. Yes. You're not sitting on the regression couch here, but uh, <laughs> take, take me. Where were you oh, at school? Gosh. Where were we at school? What um, was the story? Okay. I mean, I I never talk about my because Samantha and my real name Amanda. They're two very different people. So um, I'm, I always talk about Samantha and Samantha's experiences. So for me to go and talk about Amanda, I haven't done that for a long time, but of course. Would you mind? No, I wouldn't mind at all. Um, so I grew up in Wimbledon, which is a very posh suburb of London. And um, my mother is Persian and my father is an EastEnder. So we, I had a very privileged life. I went to Wimbledon High School for girls. I say naughty girls. And, um, you know, my family, um, I had a, I've got a brother and a sister. I was the eldest. My family, um, just a normal middle-class London family. You know, there was nothing wrong with our family. It was, I mean, we had our usual dysfunction that most families 
have. Um, but I had a happy childhood. I was um, probably very shy and insecure. Were you a good student? Um, look, I used to muck around a lot. I was my teachers. They liked me, but but. Um, they used to say things like Amanda is not a journalist yet because I'd write an, I'd write my essays as if I was a journalist. I used to cheat in my exams. Um, I was popular, but I was naughty. Naughty being in what sense? I mean, just a bit, bit like, like a little bit outlandish or? I used to bunk off school and smoke in the corner and. and with other kids, though, not just on you. Yeah, no, kids, with right? other kids, yeah. with my girlfriends. And because it was an all-girls school, I didn't know boys. Like I didn't, I didn't have any interaction with boys. They were this mystery, exciting, um, forbidden sex to me. I just grew up with girls. My brother was eight years younger than me, so I never had friends that were boys. Young Amanda, like in her you know, late teens or whatever, uh, she wanted to be a journalist. So I think when mm. I'm gathering, you always wanted to be a journalist. Always. Um, and you got a dad who's a East Londoner. Now that that's characterising someone. What's equivalent in Sydney today? Oh, God. I guess I guess someone from out west. Um, my dad, so he was an East Londoner, but he studied law and he became quite a well-known lawyer in London. So he um, he doesn't speak with a Cockney accident. You know, he was quite softly spoken, my dad. Yeah, I think he taught me to be grounded. You know, even though we were an affluent family, he always it, we were down to earth family. And my mum is from like she's she, you could describe her as a Persian princess, very glamorous. Came from a really good family in Iran and moved to England when she was five. Did her family have influence on you growing up as a person? I mean, what do you remember about that? Was it like lots of feta and uh, and like cool foods <laughs> and uh, well, you're a great cook? Or, great what, 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 what are we talking about here? No, we, we were quite a small family. My mum's family lived in France and America. Um, you know, Persian food every night. Uh, my mum's Muslim. Um, we weren't not really a practising Muslim, but, um, yeah, look, she was always very glamorous and, and different. And I used to be embarrassed of that when I was younger. I used to be really? really yeah, because it was like I didn't want to be different. Yeah. I did want to be different. I wanted to be English and or French. I used to lie to people and say I was French because being Persian was so foreign. Yeah, totally. So, Not today. Today it's seen as being exotic, but oh no, um, today I, I love it. I tell everyone. That yeah, I love th- then, but like as a kid, that's probably a little bit, a little bit confronting. I mean, mm. you don't. I mean, I, I grew up in you know my my mum was Irish, my dad was Greek, and mm. um, my dad had a strong fairly strong accent when I was at school. He doesn't have these days anymore. When I was at school, he had an accent. I, I remember whenever he used to say the word mate, he used to say might. And uh, I was really sort of conscious of that um, and uh, stupidly. Um, like, no, well, you're a kid. You know, you, yeah, you yeah, want to be totally, different when you're a kid. You want to be the same. You're right. Yeah, so, yeah, and I didn't want to be different. My mum's quite dark. You know, people would always ask where I was from and I used to, I just wanted to say Wimbledon. In terms of looks, were you a, a good-looking young girl? Like, I mean- <laughs> oh, Mark. <laughs> Look, I guess, I mean, I'm not going to say I was gorgeous or anything like that because I wasn't. I was an awkward, skinny kid. Look, I knew, I worked out from a very early age, though, that I had, as most women do, some kind of power over boys and men. I remember walking... Um, down the street in Wimbledon. There used to be a little sweet shop, lolly shop. And this man got out of his car and gave me a bunch of flowers. I must have been about 14. I had a few experiences like that. And I thought, wow, 
I didn't know boys and men were like that, you know, about me, you know, and I was so shy, even though I came across as really outgoing, I was still am extremely shy. And I realized that I was being validated by men, which is something I probably needed at the time. I felt quite invisible. So when men gave me attention, I didn't know how to handle it because I didn't know boys. I hadn't spoken to boys. Um, the only time I was with boys was when I was drunk, like with all my girlfriends. So it was it was a novel thing for me. And it, it must have subconsciously stuck in my head. Take me to when um, you've left school, mm-hmm. I presume it's still in London, and you became yes. a journalist. I went to university and I studied media and um, at the same time I was working in a newspaper in London um, two or three days a week. And then I freelanced for the Mirror Group, so the Mirror, and I got a job for the Sunday People. And I loved it. I was a tabloid journalist and I used to chase people down the street. It was in that era of paparazzi and, and, you know, talking about boundaries, the Journalists had zero boundaries. We were told to get a story. I mean, I remember being told to steal um, a photograph of um, a celebrity in a restaurant. He was, ta- you know, I just, I just did terrible things, to be honest. I chased, do you know Paula Yates? Do you remember Paula Yates? Yeah, yeah, I do. Yeah, well, I, used to, I had to chase her down the street, um, asking her if she was a bad mum because Bob Geldof called her a bad mum. I was just, looking back, I just, I always say I went into the adult industry because it's a more ethical industry than journalism. Many would agree with that. Um, <laughs> yes. You know, we used to have a thing here called the Daily Mirror and it was right. a similar to the paper that you're talking about in, in the UK. Mm. I think the Mirror there was there was a page three girl or page two girl. Or yeah, like I love was, the page three girls. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was, well, we had one here too for many what? years. Me growing up as kids. We had the Daily Mirror here, which became the Daily Telegraph today, but on yeah. page three of the Daily Mirror every single day, was a, a photograph of a scantily clad girl. Um, and I remember one time when I was a young boy, uh, 15 or 16, um, there was a photograph on page three of um, Bridget Bardot standing up naked in the photo but not you couldn't see it because she had bubbles in the three places where you put the bubbles so that she concealed everything. Mm. And I remember tearing it out of the newspaper. Um, uh, and, and, and then doing what with it? Somewhere in my, my bedroom, or my mum, of course, people found it and confronted me with this and said, what it is it? And I said, I didn't have an answer for it. I just said, I really like Bridget Bardot. Um, but so we did, have a, we did have a Daily Mirror. We did have tabloids. Mm-hmm. I grew up with tabloids um, and it was usually the Murdoch empire that controlled mm-hmm. the tabloids. But can you tell us what the tabloid industry was like in London in those days? Yes. I mean, it- gossip, celebrity, you know, lots of real life stories. You know, everyone, every celebrity whinged about being in the tabloids, but they all wanted to be in the tabloids. You know, they would feed us a lot of stories. It was salacious too. Oh, so salacious. Sex, you know, like, you know, yeah. gangbangs and sex. And, 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 and it was just, it was great. Look, it was, it was fascinating for me. It, it was back in the day where we, there's long lunches and, you know, we could really say what we wanted to say because I remember my editor saying once, you know, you say what you want to say about this celebrity, make it up if you have to. They can't afford to sue us and they all want to be in the press anyway because it keeps them relevant. So, you know, I remember when I first came to Australia and I worked for a magazine and I was like, like bang, 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 just make it up, make it up, make it up. And my editor said, Amanda, we don't make things up here in Australia. And I was like, what? Do you actually write what people say? You know, I had to really had to get my head around that. Who did you work for here? Oh, I worked for most. I worked for Marie Claire, Women's Day, New Idea. I worked for the Daily Telegraph for a while. But it was, it was the media was so different here. 
And I remember when I got my job in Australia, I, I was talking to my colleagues at the tabloid newspaper and they said, why are you going to Australia? You don't come to Australia for your career. I sort of understood what they meant. And when I came here, I, I sort of understood that it was very different here. Why did you come to Australia? Why did you leave London? Um, that's a good question, especially nowadays. I think why did I? Um, because I was burnt out. You know, I was 28, 27, 28. I knew if I stayed doing what I did in London, it wasn't going to end well. I mean, half the people I worked with were done for phone hacking. A few of them killed themselves um, or ended up in jail. Um, I mean, for lots of reasons, really, I wanted to get away from my family, to be honest. I just always, I'd never been to Australia, but I was just so fascinated by Australia. I just loved it. I used to go to the library and take books out in Australia and Sydney and just thought, I just knew, I just knew I was going to end up there. And when I got offered my job, um, I was really unsure what to do because I just landed a really good job in London. Um, And uh, I remember, and this is such a weird story, I remember being on a train in Waterloo Station and I was reading something called the Press Gazette, which is a newspaper for journalists. And this, and I just thought to myself, I just need a sign, a sign of whether I should go to Australia. And no word of a lie, this man was pushing past people to come and talk to me on the train. And he said, oh, you're reading the Press Gazette. You must be a journalist. And I said, I am. And he said, my mum's a journalist. And I said, oh, right. He goes, yeah, she's a journalist in Sydney. I went, I've just been offered a job in Sydney. And he said, oh, well, my mum works for That's Life magazine and she loves it. I said, They've just offered me a job. And he said, you should take that job. And I saw that as a massive sign. So that's why I came. Did you come to Sydney or which part of Australia did you I go? came to Sydney. I didn't know a soul. Yeah. But I just landed. Um, I got the driver to take me to Bondi Beach because I just wanted to see Bondi Beach. And I, I, I sat there in the car and I got it and I thought, is this it? You know, it was a really cold, windy day. I thought it was going to be like the south of France. And I was so disappointed and this is like 20 years ago when Bondi is not the, not, not the place it is now. And I thought, this is Bondi Beach, you know, like the rundown houses, units, those mess everywhere, mattresses in the street. Um, but, yeah, I grew to love it. And um, I was the first two years I was pretty lonely. I didn't know anyone. I think it takes a while to make friends, good friends. Um, totally. So, yeah, I just fell in love with Australia and I still love Australia. So at this stage, you were a journalist, you're mm-hmm. still a journalist. Mm-hmm. What point did you think to yourself, well, what about the sex industry? <laughs> oh, look, you know, again, from an early age, I was intrigued by the sex industry. I remember going to the south of France, which my family and I used to do every year for eight weeks, and we stayed in Nice um, on the Promenade des Anglais, and I'm sure you've been to Nice. And um, I used to look out of the window uh, of the balcony. I used to go to the balcony and there was these glamorous women walking on the streets, getting picked up by Rolls Royce, Bentleys, da, da, da. And I said to my mum, what are those women? And she said, they're dames de la nuit, you know, women of the night. And I was just so fascinated by it. I used to thought they're so beautiful and intriguing and glamorous and they'd get into these fancy cars and um, I became a journalist but it was still in my head I still knew that I had some kind of power over men and the adult industry was always in my head back in the day I used to go through the back of the papers and just read the ads to the 
brothels and, and, and escorts and sex workers. And I was just so like, what is this world? It's so, mis- no one talks about this world. Um, separated from my partner. I was a single mother, 50-50 custody. And um, I was single for about a year and a half after the separation. And I just got dicked around by men. I was in my late 30s. I didn't have much patience for men who lied or, and I still don't, um, or who promised the earth and deliver nothing. I was really sick of it. So I wanted to take a bit of control back. Yeah, I mean, I just, I went, once I went to one interview, that was it. My intrigue button had hit, you know, like I was go, go, go. I just wanted to find out more, more, more. And I thought, I can do this. I can actually do this. And I remember seeing a series called um, Secret Diary of a London Call Girl. And I don't know whether you've seen it. It was based on a book called Belle de Jour. And um, it's a true story of a woman like me who became an escort in London. And that I was fixated on the show. And I used to watch it going, that's what I'm going to be like. I want to do that. So I eventually found this discreet boutique escort agency in North Sydney. And I remember my very first time I was there, I was shitting myself. And I remember being on the bed, looking by myself, looking, it was in a high-rise penthouse in North Sydney, and I was looking out at all these boats bobbing on the, on the sparkly harbour, and I thought, what the fuck am I doing? Like, what am I doing? I was like 37, 38, sitting on this bed with some, you know, doctor on his way to see me. And I thought, fuck, I really wish I was on that boat right now. <laughs> you know, I just couldn't. But, but, you know, as a journalist, it's really easy to detach yourself from the story. And I was, I had completely detached myself from my story. So it, I created this character and I became that character. And that's how I could do the job because Amanda wasn't there, Samantha was there. So Samantha was a woman that I really wanted to be. She was glamorous, confident, sexy, empowering. And I never felt that growing up. That's, that's very interesting. Mm. So, yeah, that my first job, I was expected it to be sex swinging from the chandeliers and it was just a very vanilla uh, experience with most of it was talking. Of course, once it started, my addiction just went into overdrive. You know, I wanted to find out more. I wanted to speak to more men. I wanted to speak to women in the industry. I wanted to speak to my madam in the industry. I'm intrigued by the things that would have been running through your head. You weren't doing it just because you, you're going to, I earned a quid, I made a couple hundred bucks, whatever it is you make. No. It sounds like you wanted actually to talk to people, find out more about what they're doing, why the customers and or the clients came in to see you, then what it's like to be the madam, what it's like to run this, this mm. business. It sounds like you're going through a number or a series of questions that led you to who knows where they're going to lead you to. But that's the thing that can create a so-called addiction. And this is not an addiction to sex, but it's an addiction to the intrigue of Mm. the sex industry. Mm. Is that a fair summary? Yes. Yes. And I realised the sex industry is not about sex. And my skill as a journalist was getting truth out of I knew that people would talk to me about things. They would open up. I used to get celebrities to open up to me, real people. For example, these kids have been murdered. They'd tell me things. And I heard time and time again, I've told you something I would never tell another person. This is when you were a journalist? Yes, when I was a journalist. So, And, and when I became an escort, I would hear the same thing from men. I remember my madam said, you can't ask them if they're married. You can't. And I, so I would ask them stories to their lives. And... That's what I was addicted to is, a, is what men said because no one 
listens necessary to what men think or men say. And I would, I was privy to their secrets. And that's what I wrote my books about is, is there, it's not about sex. Sex is sex is sex takes two minutes. Men pay thousands of dollars now for the, for the connection and the experience. And every man to me is a story waiting to be told. And that's what I was addicted to. It's quite incredible what you just said, because Mm. what you've learned being in this industry that these individuals who come into your environment, they're coming for sex, whatever, mm. but they're not some sort of perverted um, <laughs> sex fiend. Um, there's an expectation from their point of view as to what they're going to get from it mm. and it's not necessarily, as you said, not sex mm. or not necessarily just sex. It's something else. So would you be able to explain from a business point of view what your business does what do you think when you were seeing a client for example mm. what do you think they were after i've never had perverted kinky sex my client even when i want to have perverted kinky sex you know the clients would die um you know there are there are times where i don't have sex at all men think they're booking you for sex but they're actually not and and what they're looking for is someone to listen to them and um I've, I hear so many times from men that they feel invisible, that they don't know their place in society anymore, that they would like to talk to women in bars, but they don't want to be accused of sexual harassment um, or they're married and, and rightly or wrongly, they, they feel ignored. They have separate bedrooms. Um, the intimacy has died. And I'm not just talking about sex. I'm talking about the connection. And that's what they're paying for. They're paying for someone to listen to them, someone to actually hear them for them to have some kind of validation. The sex is very vanilla with all of them. You know, I don't want to offend any of my clients, <laughs> but it's it's meat and two veg, you know. It's not, you know, they would they would be so petrified if, you know, I bought a whip or, or you know, or rubber or whatever. Yeah. You know, they're very normal men um, from all from tradies to celebrities to CEOs to, to you know, you name it. But... Um, they all have that one thing in common, and that is a need, a basic human need for connection. Mm. I've talked to people about what is the purpose of the business, mm. you know, what the why, the so-called why of your business, and you just summarised it for me. Mm. Um, it was uh, to be able to obtain a connection and maybe I might add something to it without any judgement. Absolutely. And, you know, a lot of men who see me, um, you know, and I've had very successful men sobbing, you know, about whatever's going on in their life. And I, I quite often say, have you thought about talking to a therapist? And they all say, I would feel too judged. That's very interesting. You've got to have a, a certain empathy, but also a, an attraction to that way of life. Mm. I'm not talking about sex. I'm not talking mm. about being attracted to a man. I'm talking about being attracted to being able to listen and to talk to them. Mm. You're a person that people like to talk to or like to mm. be in the company of because there's a perception about all this you know like you know that <laughs> looking like someone like uh out of a movie and she's yes. standing there at the bar and she's drinking a special cocktail that no one can yes. pronounce or afford <laughs> you know it's, it's someone might like that yes. others i guess want you to be just a normal person yes and i think a lot of women think this job is all five star first class and don't get me wrong there's a lot of that but the number one request I get for outfits is active wear or jeans, you know, and no makeup. And, you know, I've got all these fancy outfits that I don't wear. I think when you're glamorous or, you know, the, the, the sort of experiences you're describing, men get very intimidated by that. They, you oh. know, I have to know to bring it down to earth. When I walk into a hotel room, I'm the one with the power. Men are usually terrified, shaking terrified. And, um, you know, if, if I turn up in a dress with my Louboutins, and it's more even terrifying for them. They just 
very basic creatures, very simple creatures, and I keep it simple. And it makes me laugh because all these women approach me now, Samantha, I want to be an escort, I love sex. Don't do this job for the sex. Do this because you have compassion and you really genuinely enjoy the company of men. And I say to them, you don't need to get all dressed up and fancy. Just look respectable and look as if you're meeting someone for a business meeting. That's what they like. Well, we've gone from Amanda to Samantha, so (laughs) I'm going to come back. Samantha X, I just want to go to the break and I'm going to come straight back. I want to talk to you about the two parts of your business, I mean Mm -hmm. the the, the sex industry business but also the other part, the empowering of women Mm -hmm. uh, part of your business. But I want to go to the break and come straight back with Samantha X. Intriguing. (laughs) I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Samantha Rex, welcome back. Thank you, Mark. Now, we've established uh, your journey into the uh, sex industry. We we have also established your probably a big part of that is your um, experiences as a journalist and also what you learnt as a journalist and maybe it seems like um, your attraction to understanding and or having the ability to get information out of people was part of that journey getting into the sex industry because, you know, like you tend to know how to talk to people and and get stuff out of people. And I was intrigued in the first half of this podcast um, about what you were saying, how you defined what you do and more importantly the purpose of what you do and it's there to connect. You know that your clients need to connect. Now you you run a business which is – I don't know how to best describe it. How would you best describe your business? <laughs> so what would you call um, Samantha X's business now? It, well, I've got two. Um, I've got Samantha X After Dark, um, and that is three components to that. There's the escort agency that we run. There's It's an advertising platform for male escorts and, and female escorts, and we have an e-commerce section, so we sell sex toys, um, e-books, my books. I've written two books. Um, uh, vibrators, lingerie. The lingerie does really well. Um, yeah, so there's three parts of it. And it's the first of its kind, really. We're not just an escort agency. We have everything for men and women and couples. When you say you run Samantha X as an, as an agency, is that a platform where men and women can offer their service or is it a platform for where men and women can come to get the service? Um, so we have both. So we have men, female escorts, 
around the country can advertise with us. And male escorts, which is also a booming business at the moment, can advertise with us. And we also have, um, separately to that, an agency where my business partner, Vanessa, and I manage girls. So male clients or married clients will come to us asking for a particular lady or a particular service. So we do both. And then we have our shop. And what do you take a clip? How does it work? How do you make your money? So we, so our ladies that work for us are six hundred and sixty dollars an hour, and we take forty percent of that. So, so you take um, a clip, yep. Yes, that's how we make our money through the agency. We take a clip of that, yeah. And we're very, you know, clients come to us because they trust the brand. Um, they trust our brand, which is built on integrity and sophistication and honesty. And I think honesty is a massive thing in the adult industry because there's a lot of smoke and mirrors. Um, and because people come to the brand because of Samantha, you know, maybe they've read my books or they've read my articles or um, they've Googled me and they've, they've, you know, it's not often someone puts their real face to the industry. Um, usually the escort agencies are, b- are behind nameless, faceless people quite often men who manage them. So we are all female, uh, myself and my amazing business partner. And, um, yeah, we get men who, who are looking for that honesty. Interesting. You talked about one of the things you used to be very interested in, I'm sure you still are, is the truth and, you know, honesty and truth sort of go together. In terms of your business's brand, the Samantha X brand, I think what you're saying is it stands for honesty. Um, what does that mean to a client and, and maybe to also one of your uh, staff? Well, I guess in the adult industry is is um, notorious for, um, you know, fake photographs, um, women who pretend to be someone they're not, um, you know, unfortunately, a lot of men get ripped off and a lot of women get ripped off too, but a lot of men get ripped off. There's, um, you know, I know even now girls who um, take someone's money and then do a runner. Um, and, you know, I, I mean, uh, the ad could say, you know, I'm Brazilian 21-year-old and the man turn up and it's a 50-year-old from Penrith, you know. So um, honesty is something that, that that hasn't been that prevalent in the adult industry and that's what I wanted to change you know, what you see is what you get and our women, are the women that we have there actually want to be there. They're mature women. We very rarely employ young girls. And they're mature women. The most popular type of woman that is requested is age 40 plus. Um, and that's because they have life experience and there's no bullshit. And I can't stand bullshit um, in any form of my life. You know, I live an authentic life. And I really expect the women who work for us to as well, and certainly the clients. But um, I'm the gatekeeper to my industry, to the to the girls, and I'm the one that takes the bookings. And if I think someone's a dickhead, they don't get a chance of seeing my girls. You know, I've had women that say, I don't want to see that client, and I absolutely. And I always tell the women that they're the ones in control. And if something doesn't feel right or seem right, it's not right. Um, and if you don't feel comfortable, you get out of the room. That's never happened. We've never had that because I'm experienced enough in this industry now that I can just tell, even by the way a man writes a text message, if he's going to be a dick or not. Every resource is rare, particularly people. <laughs> That's the rarest thing, particularly the type of people you're looking for, you know, you're high-quality people. Um how do you how do you source people? I mean, how do you find people to come to you? No, they come to us. I mean, particularly when I have a column in the newspaper or when, I, when my second book came out, we were inundated. We are inundated with women who want to work for us, doctors, lawyers, you name it. You know, we've had all sorts. Um, 
and, and they all have the one thing in common. They want to feel empowered. They're in their 40s or their 50s or their 60s even. We had someone in their 60s who was very successful with us, um, you know, for whatever reason, mostly because they've had a nasty divorce. They've lost their confidence. They want to feel empowered, strong and sexy again. And it's really nice to see them become that person. There's no type of woman. It's any woman, but they have to have compassion and warmth. And that's what I look for. I don't look for perfect bodies. I don't look for um, youth. I look for life experience, warmth and compassion because those are the women that would do really well. And age is a huge thing in this job. I, you know, I say to women, don't lie about your age. Don't make yourself younger. If anything, make yourself older. This may be a fairly um, naive question to ask, but is there any sort of training involved? Yes, and it's nothing to do with sex. It's it's yeah. nothing to do with sex. I very rarely talk about sex to anybody. I don't really write about sex. I don't really, uh, you know, I get very embarrassed talking about sex. It's more the way they carry themselves, um, you know, very simple things like money, how to take the money, you know, how to behave um, personality-wise and what to what to talk about and, you know, the logistics of how to get them to the hotel room or, you know, in a very discreet way, what to wear, don't wear pretty woman outfits, you know, just wear conservative, very conservative. That's what I was seeing on before, <laughs> pretty woman. That's That was no. the movie I seeing on, pretty woman, yeah, yeah. Uh, whatever her name is, the one with the red hair. Julia so, Roberts, yeah, yeah. Roberts, that's it. If I was trying to pigeonhole this, you know, this type of person, that's sort of went through my mind originally. But it's actually, you're right, it's quite intimidating, et cetera. Yes. Um, and it's, it's really interesting what you just said about um, logistics, the logistics of how to get into the hotel room yes. um, discreetly. Um, but equally, the act of sex as opposed to all the things that happened before and after, um, all those things before that you just mentioned, how you dress, how you carry yourself, how you greet somebody, they're all sexy. I mean, potentially. Um, they're all attractive because I remember listening to uh, – I think it was Sting, the musician once explaining he used to say he had sex for eight hours at a time. And I said, oh, that's, that's, that's ridiculous. Who can do that? And, uh, Show off. But he, then he yeah. explained this whole process of um, having sex was not was about how he got up in the morning. I'm, I'm just making this up as I go yeah, along yeah. now. But how he got up in the morning, how he'd make perhaps a cup of tea for his partner um, and then how we'd sit down and have the cup of tea with her and how we'd look at her, how he might touch her during the day, blah, 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 right through to the, you know, the last moment and, and then afterwards as well. So his eight hours of sex was not sex, the sex act. It was yes, yes, I know what you mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, maybe some of the your workers might think to themselves, oh, this has got to be like a porn movie or something <laughs> like that. And, you know, and, and they're all paid actors and yes. you know, they've probably got plenty of props going on. Yeah. They've got plenty of help, et cetera, in, in lots of all sorts of cases. And uh, and it's all bullshit anyway. Yes. Um, they must be, especially the first-timers, they must be terrified. Terrified, yes, but not as terrified as the clients. No. Not as I mean, I, I've, um, you know, had clients that are, given conferences and spoken in front of thousands but put them in a hotel room with a naked woman. And I've had clients that can't even hold a glass of water without shaking. You know, it's um, it, it's the power so of the female. And, you know, women have the power. Absolutely. I've always believed women have the power. From a very early age, I, when the man got out of his car and gave me flowers, I realised I have the power. And I've made a business out of that now. I've capitalised on that. And I don't blame men for being in awe of women. I'm in awe of women. They, we can be so feminine and strong. And 
a lot of these businessmen, and I'm sure you'll understand, they're, they're so sick of being the tough one. They want some kindness and some female energy around them where they can be themselves. And that's what the, our women, our angels do is they help men be themselves. Because when we're naked, everyone's the same level. You know, you can be, you can, you can run multi-million dollar companies, but take your clothes off. You're no different to anyone else. It's funny. My mum, when I was in my later twenties, I was a single guy and I had a girlfriend, different one every week. And I used to say, you know, I'd bring someone around who I thought was really good looking and try and, and my mum used to say, Mark, they're all cats in the dark. She'd say, make sure that, you know, she has a good personality. She's a good person. She understands you, blah, 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 you know, and uh, those sorts of things. Mum was trying to explain to me. Of course, I had no interest in listening. To her. <laughs> was trying to tell me at that stage. But she, she just said what you just said. I mean, it, you know, once the lights are out, well, the, you know, you're, you're, they're naked. It's sort of it's a, it's a transaction happens, you know what I mean, and uh, but it's what happens before and after that's the really important bit, and and it's the enduring parts that are really important. So I'd say then, um, Samantha X, the business of matching workers with clients. Do you say, look, here's the list, you go through it, Mr. Client, or you choose what you want, or do you try to match people up? A bit of both, you know. I know the clients now very very well. And um, I know they're not going to want a young 25-year-old. I know they will want this, you know, a particular client will want um, a curvy 50-year-old. And sometimes it is hard to find those kind of women. Um, It's a very transient industry. We've had women that work for our agencies that that, that then go on to be independent escorts um, once they get a hang of the industry or the job. Um, But, yes, I know my clients very, very well. And at the moment during lockdown, they're really struggling. And, again, it's not about sex. It's struggling for intimacy and connection. So um, I think a lot of sex workers will will really um, be extremely busy when when we open again. Well, can I ask you what happens during lockdown, Samantha? Like uh, I don't want to sound like a smart-ass, but it's – Sort of like an essential service to some extent. Um, but Absolutely. What are the rules? Um, well, we can't work. We've had to shut up two-thirds um, of our business. Samantha X After Dark, Samantha X Angels, we have completely shut the doors on at the moment. Um, and what is selling really well, what has a 40% increase is our sex toys and lingerie um, at the moment, which is great. But yeah, men are craving the intimacy at the moment. We've had phone calls from all around the country and the world, actually. It makes me laugh because not even a pandemic will stop men. (laughs) You know, they don't care. They just want to have a woman. They just want to be with a woman. And, um, a lot of my marriage clients, rightly or wrongly, um, are struggling in very unhappy marriages at the moment and particularly my single clients um you know I had one phone call from a client the other day who said he hasn't spoken or been with even touched another human for 100 days um wow yeah and it's I mean look it is an essential service but it's also a physical service so obviously we can't work at the moment in terms of sex toys I mean how do you source your sex toys like how's that all work I mean and, and how do you know what people want to buy I mean I guess you, you work in this industry or you have worked in this industry but what are we talking about I'm um, obviously vibrate is an obvious one but what other things are we talking about plastic dolls or something <laughs> well, there is there is a market for the plastic dolls they're very very expensive um we have we sell those but um look there's some really um uh, high quality brands of sex toys like Lilo. Lilo is our best selling uh, brand online. They do vibrators and sex toys for men 
women and couples. And the best-selling ones at the moment are something called Lilo Enigma, which is for women, and um, a male, a man one, which is like a like a vibrator cock ring. Um, but yeah, they're going great guns at the moment because people with disposable income still need to have intimacy whether it's couples or by themselves i mean a man contacted us the other day saying um he'd like to buy uh, a, a self-pleasure toy because he was sick of using his hand um but yeah there's a great there's a booming business in sex toys and they're expensive sex toys are a couple of hundred dollars um so that is something that we are looking to do in the future there's a huge gap in the market at the moment with honey Burdette being sold to playboy we're looking at expanding the brand into high quality lingerie and sexual wellness which includes sex toys so that's where we're looking to next there's a massive gap in the market and i think these days people are more open about their desires and mental health is a massive thing at the moment huge you know it's probably the most important issue we have um and i think during covid that's become even more apparent loneliness and lack of intimacy and connection. So there's a huge gap in the market there. Do you expect, I mean, everybody's sort of got pent-up demand to go to restaurants and go on holidays and, and just drive more than five kilometres to some extent <laughs> away from their home, etc. There's probably going to be pent-up demand for people to use uh, some anthorexic services, I would say. And what's interesting is I um, this time last week I spoke to our, our federal treasurer um, and he said to me that uh, the balance sheets – of Australian individuals, in other words, each of us in general he's talking about because there's obviously some people who have suffered, but in general our balance sheets have improved because we haven't been able to spend money like we ordinarily could would spend our money. So those people who have increased balance sheets and also pent up demand, they're just going to spend with their ears pinned back big time. Mm, and oh, I would expect your industry is going to get um, pushed pretty hard. And do you as a business person, do you say to yourself, okay, Samantha, um, the business will come back online, do you pick a date? Do you say 1 December? And therefore, I've got to make sure I've got everything in place for 1 December. I've got to make sure I fill my website up with enough sex toys. I've got to fill my website up with enough workers. What do you do as a business owner? Well, um, we we make sure that we're well stocked with the toys and the lingerie. Um but it, it's not a case of when we, I mean, when we open, it's just a click of a button and we're back on. You know, we haven't had to get rid of people or, you know, we haven't lost our clients. I, I, they still contact me going, I can't deal with this anymore. Um, when can you send me girls? And, and it's like, I can't, I can't do it. Can you imagine if I get caught doing that? I don't need that publicity. I really don't need that publicity. Um, but, um, yeah, it's just a case of as soon as the Premier says we're open, then we're open for business. But what do you say to your workers? I mean, they're all sitting around eating the paint off the walls. I mean, how do you deal with that? Well, women who work for us have other lives. They have other careers. They have – I mean, right. we, had a, we had a girl, a lady that was an emergency – a doctor in emergency at a hospital. You know, they, I always say to them, don't do this full time. Absolutely do not do this full time. See it as a hobby, you know, so they're not relying on this income. Um, right. And like I said, we have a lot of girls come and go and they've all got, you know, their mums or, you know, they're living secret lives or whatever. They've got other stuff going on. We don't have women that just sit around waiting for our phone call. And I don't want those kind of, um, I don't want that kind of pressure of, of having to support a family. I, um, I always say, you know, we're not the busiest agency in town, but we're boutique, but we have the most high quality gentlemen, which is true. Um, so yeah, I'd rather, I always say mental health over dollars any day of the week. And I'd rather my girls have one job a month, but a good quality job than lots of little shitty jobs. How 
big is the demand for male escorts, both from other males and from females? Is it growing? Yes, it is. We don't we don't manage male escorts. They just advertise with us. And right. Um, I mean, I know women that have booked male escorts. I'm so intrigued. That's something I'm so intrigued about, uh, booking a male escort. I never have. I'd be way too nervous, I think. Um, but, yeah, there's, I mean, I've spoken to the male escorts and we have, we, we interviewed one for a podcast, um, Slow Love Stories was the podcast series. And um, to me, there's, there's, how everyone thinks my stories are fascinating, I find their stories fascinating, the male escort. There's a massive demand. And the male escorts I've spoken to, their clients, female clients, range from 19-year-olds to 85-year-olds and that the 85-year-olds I'm so intrigued about but they're widowers they've you know lost their husbands one one gentleman one escort told me that this his client just wanted to sort of do a slow dance around the living room and I just find it gorgeous but yeah male escorts are in huge demand at the moment because a lot of women are choosing to remain single and not marrying and you know they're career women and they're the ones that book the male escorts and I think the female escorts are way more sexual. The female clients are way more sexual than our male clients. You know, females, we talk to our friends. We have that connection. We have that intimacy. So they really just want a good shack. <laughs> I have to be honest with you. Like I'm, I'm, I'm intrigued. I mean, I can sort of understand a female escort, how she can sort of do the business. Um, but like a guy, um, like he's got a, you know, he's got a <laughs> – it's got to get a hard on. So, I mean, how the fuck did they do it? I mean, like, how can they just walk in and do that on demand, so to speak? Yeah. I mean, that, that must be some sort of skill. Yes. Well, I, you know, it is. And um, that's the first question I ask them is, how do you get a hard on for someone you're not attracted to? Well, just walking in on a transaction, like, is, yeah. you know, that'd be nerve wracking for a start. I mean, like, you'd have to have pretty good fucking brain. Like, you have to have your head in the right space. I mean, like, that's, that's intimidating. <laughs> Well, no. Well, first of all, no client ever wants to feel it's a transaction. So um, my job and the job of the girls that work for our agency is never to make it feel like a transaction. Um, And the same would go for male escorts. I've never, I don't manage male escorts. I don't really know what goes on there, but I do know they have to get a hard on for someone they're not attracted to. And a lot of them use Viagra and a lot of them, a few of them can do it. You know, they just go to that place in their head. That's a skill. Yeah, it's, it's fascinating for me because I know people are intrigued by my story and my clients. I'm intrigued by male escorts and their story and whether they've ever work, walked out on a client or whether they've uh, felt unsafe. And what do they do if there's someone really unhygienic, you know, and, and blah, blah, blah. Have you got a podcast, have you? We have, yeah. It's, well, the podcast series is Slow Love Stories and um, it's I interview a male escort and it is fascinating because I mean, we've, we've had an ex-lawyer male escort. There's a, they all have separate lives. You know, they've all got a double life. So, yeah, it's, you know, and a lot of them um, take Viagra because female escorts can fake orgasms. I mean, any woman can fake an orgasm. Doesn't have to, you don't have to be an escort. Um, but for men, they can't fake it. And it's the pressure would be huge. You know, the pressure. Totally. Would be huge. I mean, like, it'd be scary. Yeah. Really scary. Well, let's just shift across a little bit and talk about the other part of your business, which is the empowerment of women. Mm. Um, you realize when you're a young woman that a woman does have power. And, and I don't mean in a sense that, and I'm sure you don't mean in a sense that you want to make use of that power or abuse that power, but at least accept that you do have power as opposed as opposed to being powerless as a woman. That, that, I think that's sort of what you're saying. I mean, powerlessness 
is a big issue for women, but for a woman to understand that she does have power or that she can become empowered, that's a, a really solid undertaking. What does that part of your business do? Well, I mean, for a start, I mean, although I say empowerment, it's so it's such a banded around word at the moment from the media. Yeah. Like, you know, what does it actually mean? Um, when I wrote my books, my first book, Hooked, I, I wrote that in 2017, I think 2018, and then I wrote a second book, Back on Top. Um, when I when I first decided to out myself as an escort, um, my my goal was never to empower women. I didn't even think about empowering women. That wasn't even on my radar. I didn't really know what that meant. I just was a journalist that became an escort and wrote a book about it. That's how I thought, and that, I thought the story would end there. Um, it is only when um, Vanessa, a lady called Vanessa, contacted me, um, and she said, Dear Samantha, I read your book on my honeymoon, and you really made me feel empowered. Um, can I come and talk to you about helping you build your brand? And Look, I was all over the place at that time in my life. I was drinking too much. I was in the party scene. I was like, what is she even talking about? Um, anyway, this little feisty Italian turns up at my door with this folders and, and, and spreadsheets and everything. And I was like, what the fuck? And she, um, Vanessa had a great career marketing already. And she said, she's this petite little, very conservative, normal, what I call normal person you know, married and the grounded family, something which I craved. And she said, um, you don't realise it, but you have a really important message for women. You help women celebrate their sexuality. And then especially over the age of 40, you or your brand can um, make women understand that they're, at, they're coming into their peak. Because I think so many women feel that they're invisible in their 40s. They've, you know, the ship has sailed. Um, but I didn't realise that the message I was giving to women is that it's far from sailed. You haven't even launched yourselves yet. And that's when I realised I had something or I could give women something. And that's what women were coming to me for was how do you become confident? How do you, how do you have self-esteem? How are you confident in your body? How are you confident in your sexuality? And I thought, how are these women thinking I'm confident? Because I really felt like a fraud. I'm just Amanda. I just wrote a book. But Vanessa helped me believe that I had a really important message for women. And she is the one who has built my brand up. I'm the face of it. But Vanessa has given me lots of confidence to help women. And it's a joy to see women come into my living room and sit down on my sofa you know, they're shy, they're insecure, they're apologetic. They've usually had nasty divorces and then they become an escort and I see them carry themselves differently. They're more confident. They've got disposable income and it's really nice to see that. And you don't have to go into sex work to feel like that. Um, I coach women. I have two websites, SamanthaXAfterDark and SamanthaX.com.au. That's where I feel I empower women as well is by, um, you know, they pay me a couple of hundred bucks to have an hour session with me and we talk about how to get confidence, how to be confident, how to um, believe in yourself, how to look the best you can look. Um, and that goes with men as well. You know, I've had men that, that um, book me for those kind of sessions rather than, intimacy sessions they're booking me for um 
coaching. It's not therapy as such. You're not sort of pretending to be a therapist. No. You're coaching them about intimacy and or connections. That's right. And, you know, it's like typical person in business. I'm very good at speaking about relationships, but I'm so bad at having them myself. (laughs) It's a lot easier for me to um, see where someone else is going wrong in a relationship than for myself. And, you know, my comfort zone is being Samantha. If I'm going on a date in my real life, I'm terrified. So it's very easy for me to help people with getting a bit of Samantha in their lives because that's what they want. Do you regret anything? Yes, I would be lying if I said I didn't. Um, you know, while the truth can set you free and you, I, I make a living uh, of being authentic in my life, in my, in my business life, and my real life, it also comes at a huge cost. Um, you know, I will always be known as that girl. Even if I gave it up and became a nun, I will still be that girl. And... Um, Look, it's really hard to date. I don't know whether men want to date Samantha or Amanda, and I don't know who to be. I don't know who to, whether to be Samantha or Amanda. You know, are they expecting me to have all these sex tricks and, and, and you know, they're with me because they just want to have sex with me or do they actually want to get to know me? So I struggle with that, um, and I don't really date, to be honest. Um, but also, you know, I spoke to a sportsman the other day, a well-known sportsman. We had a cup of tea together, and I said to him, don't you just wish you could be normal? You know, don't you wish you could be normal and just have a normal life? And and he said, yes, but it's never going to happen. And it's not going to, you know, you are who you are and you're not going to, you know, I'm not, I know that my life is is controversial. I know it is. And I know that a lot of people close to me have had to deal with what I do. And there has been judgment from, you know, it's not just empowering women and that everything's great. I, Our business as well, we have faced stigma. Um, we do face, I face judgment um, as well, but I know that everyone's a hypocrite, so I'm okay with that. But being vocal about the sex industry in a country like Australia, which I believe is quite conservative, I had to take a lot of flack for it. And do I wish I hadn't even opened my mouth sometimes? Sometimes I do. Yeah, sometimes I do. But then I, I, I see the women and I see the men and I hear the men and I hear the women and I think, well, this is my journey. This is my path. You know, and it gives me great joy to see women become more confident. And it also gives me great joy to see men and to hear men open up. It's interesting because what you just did, despite trials and tribulations of any business, at the end of the day, you're doing something that's valuable. You've brought it right back to your the reason you do this stuff. I mean, the reason why people engage with you because they want connection. And it's a basic human fundamental, I would call right not a privilege, it's a right. And notwithstanding there are lots of people who judge you, et cetera, if you bring yourself back to the reason why you are engaging in this business, then it's okay. That's a, probably a good message for everybody in business today. I mean, there's going to be trials and tribulations all the time in your business. I mean, there's going to be people going to criticise you. There's going to be people say you should have done this or you should have done that or you should have done it a different way or you're too expensive or you're no good at your job or someone in your, one of your staff is giving you a hard time or, you know, you get divorced because of your business. Um, but at the end of the day, the only way you can live your life um, is to go back to that one fundamental point. I did something in my business you do something in your business, I do something in my business that's valuable to people. It's a fundamental, valuable thing and add value to their lives, even if it might only be for an hour. And uh, so you can hold your head up high at home when you look at yourself in the mirror. That's how I feel about what I do, um, the things that I do. I'm always looking for 
my God, am I doing this? This is a punish. Why, am I, why the fuck am I doing this? <laughs> um, and, and sometimes it helps you get out of bed. Sometimes it helps you sleep. Sometimes it helps you um, work through all the shit that's happening around your life. So I really appreciate the way you articulated that. I think that's very, very good. It's, 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 it's high-level stuff. You know, I, I could talk to you for ages, but I'm, I'm running out of time. So I always give everyone an opportunity to ask me a question. I can sort of sense what question you're going to ask me, but <laughs> I always give everyone a, a, an opportunity to ask me a question. What question would you like to ask me? Look, Mark, I would love to ask you if you've paid for sex, but obviously you're not going to answer that. So I'm – would you? You would never answer that, would you? Um, so well, I'm, even you wouldn't believe my answer anyway. So I would believe your answer. I don't matter. think you have. But no, um, you would. But I'm talking about my audience, I should say. They. <laughs> Um, look, you're obviously a very, very good businessman. You understand business. But my question to you is, do you understand women? And what have you learned? What's the surprising thing that you've learned about women in your life so far? That's a very good question. Um, well, the first thing I would say that I've learned about women is that I don't understand women. Um, and, uh, and I'm still learning and I continue to learn. Um, I, I'm not a very uh, sensitive person. Person, I mean, I'm just a hard-nosed business guy. Yeah, I mean, so I, I see everything as pretty binary, you know, in, in either black or white, you know, one or the other. Um, and I'm not very good on the sensitivity piece, whether it's with male staff, female staff, but but women in particular. And um, but I also have noticed, like as I get older, um, that there is a merging between men and women, there's not that much, there's not a great deal of difference. And in fact, I probably don't understand men either. Whereas I always thought I understood men. I always thought I understood the blokes. But I only understand a certain a certain part or subsection of men. And it's people that I grew up with or people that are, are similar to me. And And I really don't understand a lot of personalities and characteristics and sensitivities of both young and older men, particularly younger men, um, I don't understand a lot of the sensitivities and personalities and characteristics of women of all ages, although I'm better with much older women. Like uh, I understand much older women much better. I don't really know what I have learned over a long time, Amanda, and I'm talking to Amanda now. I don't understand what people expect from me because I've never really cared about what people expect from me, and whereas I should. I've always only been thinking about what I'm going to do for them in, in a sense that it's just about business. It's always just been about business for me. What can I do for the audience, male or female, in order that I can maintain this audience and, and it sounds terrible, but make a buck. Here I am talking to someone in the, in the sex industry and that's all I ever gave a shit about, making a dollar. Whereas everyone thinks that's all you give a shit about, but actually your, your, your business is about connecting with people and actually helping them and being valuable to them. I, on the other hand, have always thought about how do I convert that into a dollar? How do I commercialize that? Particularly since my, my mother passed away, have I really started to think about how women feel and, what, and what's important to them? That's my answer. Good answer. Thank you, Mark. Obviously, I'm intrigued now, but I can't. it's not after my turn to interview you. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe when you do your podcast, yes. I'll come on and talk to you yes, on your podcast. Yes. But it's been a fantastic interview. It's a one-off for me. I mean, I, when the team put it to me, um, I thought, yeah, cool, why not? Joe Rogan style, you know. Um, <laughs> Joe talks to everybody and I, and I should too. And everyone's got a good story from my point of view. But I found it quite intriguing and your honesty and truthfulness and, you know, and your 
preparedness to open up and show us things that happen in the private world uh, has been fantastic. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Thanks for listening to The Mentor. Audio and production is by Jess Morley. And production assistants, Jonathan Leondis. 